where it's at. I got two Dan tables and a microphone. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Where It's At, a musical-based podcast for musically inclined and based people. I am your host, Mark Pearson, and this is my co-host, finely showered, freshly smelling Dan Hornstein. I smell like 10 bucks right now. Let me tell you. <laughs> 10 bucks. Wow. <laughs> 10 bucks. Yeah. It got bad. Like, uh, I don't know. Is, are we, are we trying to market to a PG? Or no, a PG we're 13? not. This is I, okay. <laughs> I, I haven't. So we're in Texas. If you're listening in from elsewhere and I went without power with the big storm for the past three days, I was without power from Sunday until Wednesday afternoon and water pressure at my house has been crazy low and we just started to get water back, um, but no hot water yet. So, <laughs> Uh, I took a cold shower today. Um, it got really bad. I hadn't showered since Sunday until today. And I, I feel like I could smell my balls through my jeans. <laughs> it was that bad. Like, you know, you just like, you get ultra self-aware about your own yeah. kind of funk. Um, that was what it was. So I, I, I braced myself. I kind of dove in. It was pretty invigorating. Uh, very brisk shower that I just took. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've, I've had a similar experience. I was backpacking in California and there was like this creek that came by where we were camping camping and I just smelled terrible and I didn't feel all that good. And one of the guys I was with was like, Hey, just go take a little bath in the Creek there. You'll feel much better. And the water was probably like 42 degrees and he yeah. just went and done it. And I was like, Oh, if he can do it, I can do it. And I just was like, Oh my God, it was so cold. <laughs> Every appendage wants to go in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like I, even I, my fingers. <laughs> yeah. I walked back to the, I used to be six, four. Now I'm six feet tall. I shrunk yeah. four inches because of that. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did too, but in a different way. <laughs> I look down. Everything just looks like the inside of a catcher's mitt. <laughs> uh, okay, let's get this back on track. So we have yeah, a lot of fun. We, yeah, we have a yeah. Good time. So uh, on this podcast each week, Dan and I pick an album from any genre. Anybody, we Dan and I have noticed we tend to pick lesser known musical artists, and I'd like to keep it that way because I mean. Top 40 just really isn't my thing. I don't think it's your thing either. Uh, it depends. Um, I, I'm not opposed to top 40, but it's got to have, it's got to attract me. It's got to be, it's got to have something unique to it. That's not sort of the same, same thing. Copy paste, copy paste that you right. get with a lot of pop music. So I think uh, uh, we might get to one of those eventually, but if you're a, a music lover and you want to hear new stuff, this is the podcast for you. And you know, we'll talk about these uh, uh, these artists. We'll give a brief bio. Then we'll discuss why we pick them, and then we'll have a conversation about it. And uh, real quick before we get into the show, if you want to reach out to us, you can find us both on Instagram. I'm at Mr. Underscore Pockets 21. And Dan and is... I, yeah. I was going to tell him I am at Instagram at Dan in Houston, where you can find me and uh, I do stand up comedy and stuff too. So you can find me posting about shows, hopefully posting some funny jokes on there too. Oh yeah. And then you can also send us an email at wherepod at gmail.com. So yes, please reach out to us there. Tell us why you think we're right. And we will agree with you. Yep. That's all we want to hear. Yeah. Basically. I don't want to hear anything other than... <laughs> <laughs> acknowledgement of our own successes yes. <laughs> and other complimentary yes. so verbiage. it's time for a new section here on the show new segment uh, it's a brief little segment it's called sniggles sniggles 
Yeah, so each week, Dan and I are going to pick a sniggle, a single. I feel like we need to explain yeah. sniggles. Go for Can it. Can we? Okay. Yeah. Um, so sniggles is, it's singles. We're going to pick a different single. And the reason why we're calling it sniggles is an homage to a uh, really wonderful person that I used to live next door to up in Northern Kentucky, Mr. Grant Alden, who is a rock critic. He is an alt country. He ran his alt country music magazine for some time super cool guy. Um, and Grant used to live in Seattle, Washington at the dawn of the grunge era and wrote about all of those bands and got to experience a lot of really, really cool stuff. And he and I used to sit and, uh, he would just regale stories and I would, I would just soak them all up like a sponge. And one of the stories that he told was when they filmed Cameron Crowe's movie singles in Seattle in like 1992. Uh, and of course it featured Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. And, uh, they all thought it was kind of ridiculous <laughs> to begin with. And so that as a an inside joke. They never called the movie singles. They called it sniggles. And so in tribute to not only one of my favorite genres of music, early grunge, but also uh, Grant Alden, who's a really cool guy. We're going to dedicate this seg- segment and called it sniggles Heck where yeah. we review a new single from, uh, uh or, or uh, yeah, it can be a single or it can be, uh, something new or, or something old, you right. know, I, I'm not going to limit us to that. I right. think we can pick whatever. Yeah. For this week, I went with something new from well, last week. We talked about Ra's album from one. So to contrast their new stuff, I, uh, selected the single intercorrupted by raw. It's off their upcoming album later on this year. And, first listening to this, I was actually really, really interested and pleased because they retained their sound. And obviously like Sahaj's vocals are still very much the same. He's got that, at least I think Sting, you think Queensryche kind of, you know, esque vocalism to it, but, and the guitars are still heavy and great. It's got his signature guitar tone, but they got rid of that new metal slash 2002 rock vibe and they've yes. modernized a lot and there's some synth in there. It's really good. It's really catchy, a good driving chorus. And I was just really, it made me really excited to listen to the new album when it comes out. Yeah. I wanted to hear when we talked about this on our last episode, I wanted to hear the difference in their sound from their first record that we reviewed last episode to their very newest thing. And that was what I was listening to specifically. I wanted to see if their sound had evolved and kind of grown as the genre has grown too, as heavy music has, has evolved into what it is today. And I'm happy to say, I think they, they have done that. They didn't, it wasn't still the same stuff as the first record. You could tell there right. was a little bit of a change. Um, some of the rhythms I thought were, were kind of cool on that main rift as it kicks in the way the guitar and the drums, uh, the kind of work together has a little bit of a Devin Townsend kind of vibe to it that I was digging mm-hmm. a lot. Um, it's a big, it's a very anthemic song. Yes. This single incorporated, it, it's got a big kind of sing along. Whoa, whoa, you know, kind of, yeah, you can picture the whole uh, auditorium singing along with it. Almost and and bear with me, like a little bit of like a heavy metal Coldplay. Yeah, I I do see in it in that yeah. respect. You <laughs> yeah. know, um, that was what it reminded me of heavy heavy metal Coldplay. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good song. Yeah, I I love it, and I'm just stoked for the new one. Uh, what did you pick, Dan? Well, uh, so I gave I gave Raw Incorporated three beards. Oh, okay. Um, I give it. I give that song three and a half. I, I don't I the couple of times I listen to it, I, I'll probably if I, I have a feeling if I listen to this more, I'd give mm-hmm. it a higher rating. Um, mm-hmm. their music their music's not a kind of a one and done. I've learned that about this group. It's it really is 
it's worth taking the time to listen to them Yes. Uh, more than once and absorb it and let it sit in. The more familiar you get with it, I think the more you start to appreciate it. My choice for this single was a song called One and One or One Plus One by a band called Death From Above 1979. Death From Above 1979 is a two-piece band. It is bass slash synth and drummer slash singer. They've been around for a while now, so easily since like the early, the late 2000s, early 2010s. Mm-hmm. They've been around. They are a... Very cool group, um, uh, kind of like a Queens of the Stone Age vibe yes. to a lot of their stuff. Um, this song in particular has a kind of Queen of the Stone Age, Queens of the Stone Age vibe. There's another band that's really popular that's the same dynamic. It's it's bass and drums, and that's it, and singing. They're called Royal Blood. Death from Above 1979 sounds a lot like Royal Blood, but with just a little more edge mm-hmm. to me. There's just a little more aggressiveness in what they do, whereas versus Royal Blood is a little more pop accessible, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, I thought I thought it was a really cool song. Um, it's got some some things that I like about it. It starts off with a kind of synthy, pre-programmed drum beat, and then the very Queens of the Stone Age riff that comes in, both in both in the way the riff sounds and also the tone of it. I think they they locked into this fuzzy. Queens of the Stone Age, Eagles of Death Metal kind of sound. It's 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 super compressed. It's kind of a dry yeah. mix to it, and it really works. And then the the same thing with the vocals. It's a very Josh Homme esque melody that he's singing. Um, I love the I love the bridge, the breakdown, uh, sort of in the middle of that where uh, it, it, it changes gears a little bit, and then when it comes back to the chorus in the back half of the song, I picked up on something I didn't notice. And it's actually the, and the first couple of choruses as well, where there's this little like drum flare that they do in between after he sings the vocal hook. Mm -hmm. And it's just a little, I can't, I can't do it, but it's just a little drum flare. It's almost like a fill, but it's the same thing every time. And it repeats. And it's just a nice little color on top of a catchy melody that adds a different dynamic to it that I really enjoyed. So I would say, um, very decent song. I've, you know, um, I'm, I'm eager to hear what the rest of their album, same thing. I'm, I'm eager to hear what this new album is going to sound like. Mm-hmm. I give this one three and a half beards. Um, after I listened to it about two or three times, I was kind of ready to move on, Yeah, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, to me, <clears throat> I would also give it three and a half beards. I liked the fuzziness of it. Just the yeah. fuzziness, the compression of it, it, just the feel of it. The vibe of it was really fun. The breakdown I also enjoyed too. Yeah. I wanted to hear, what it more more of this new record is going to sound like it's it's slightly above average that's why i've given it the 3.5 beards but i'm like okay this is something i can really enjoy now i want to hear what the rest of it's like yeah a lot of their stuff i think is going to i have a feeling based on what i've listened to from them in the past that it's going to sound very similar to yeah. that single this is this is sort of their wheelhouse and they they like to live in there they don't branch you out too far from the norm except in tempo key, things like that. But it's, it's all very similar. And I'm, I'm wondering if they're actually restrained a little bit by only being bass yeah. and drums by only being a two piece. Um, you know, they, the, the bass is, it's a great instrument. It's a wonderful instrument. I think this guy does some really creative stuff to it, 
but I also feel like sonically he might be hitting a little bit of a wall there unless they went into a totally different genre with it, like more funk or right. more uh, R&B type stuff where he's he's given himself a little more freedom to it. And then when the bass takes the lead, that's the other thing is what's what's behind it, what's underneath it. That right. was always that was always kind of my beef with like the wife stripes too. Like I love Jack White, but I like his, I prefer his solo stuff just because he's got something underneath it to fill in the, to the you <laughs> yeah. know all the gaps that's there. Um, granted, the White Stripes is still fantastic, but if I had to pick a one thing, that was always my one <laughs> thing with them was, especially like when I'd watch them live. You yeah. Know? To me, it always felt like you're three quarters of the way there. Let's just yeah. take it the rest of the way. Just <laughs> get... Get somebody behind you. That's all. Right. That's all. You know. Yeah. And I don't mean get thee behind me, Satan. The, the <laughs> album, that they did, which is a great record. But um, get get your bass player. It at the very least, do it for when you're playing live. Exactly. Fill out and the sound. It can be just somebody in the background. I remember. Um, I've seen a couple of bands that have done that, mm-hmm. uh, both in three pieces and etc. Um, Nirvana obviously hired Pat Smear to play with them. Green Day, I saw Green Day in like the mid nineties before they even added an official fourth member. And they had a guy that was there just to be rhythm, just, just to make sure that they were on point to give Billy Joel, uh, of that extra freedom. So that if he wanted to stop playing and focus on singing, he was good. He was locked in. So, yeah, yeah. it just, when you, yeah, especially for a live performance, it's key to, I don't know. It en- enhances the experience. I so think. I guess what I'm saying is death from above 1979. If you need a guitar player, I am available <laughs> at Dan in Houston at Instagram. Um, I like a lot of Queens of the stone age. I think we'd be a good fit. Let's do this. Let's yeah. hang out. Let's, let's talk shop. Let's it's, see where it goes. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. This Why is, not? This is going to be musical tender for yeah. us. <laughs> this podcast is musical tender. <laughs> it's musical tender. We're going to bond. We're going. I can feel the romance already. Yes. Okay. Can you feel? <laughs> so this week I'll go first. This week for the album. Choo choo. So after I picked this album and I was like planning out what I was going to say about it and listening to it. I realized I, I came across, I was like, okay, I, I knew the, I knew this band came from Sacramento, California. Cause I didn't live too far away growing up. That's how I heard about them. They were like a local band, but they, oh, okay. they formed in 1996 and so did the last two bands. So apparently I've only been reviewing bands that formed in 1996. So either that was a magical year for music or I'm just stuck in a rut. <laughs> 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 so so I was just <laughs> to like, be determined. I was like, we'll this is that. weird. I'm gonna pick something new next for next week. I already have it picked out. So cool. um Okay. I was like, wow, that that's kind of weird. But I picked this album because I feel like this band was very far ahead for their time. Uh they did two small tours and then broke up after only doing two albums and two EPs. I wasn't impressed with their second album and their and two the e- band. The band name is Training for Utopia. Yeah, there you go. I don't think he said it in a moment. No, you're right. I didn't. I, I forgot to say that. My bad. Training. You, it for- was like it was going to be the big reveal. I don't. Did I just spoil it? Were you going to do like a Price is <laughs> no, Right? Like I wasn't going to do a Price three. is Right. Okay. You had to guess the right price. You had to, no. You had to guess what year they were formed. No. I'm guess kidding. yeah. Guess what their <laughs> CDs cost today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the uh, yeah they were from Sacramento. Uh, the fans back in the day, we just called them TFU to shorten Training for Utopia because that's kind of a mouthful, but um. They they were kind of one of the leading edge bands, at least in California, for like the whole noise core grindcore genre. 
And I wasn't really into that at the time. And, but I heard, I heard their first EP and I was like, meh, it's okay. But by the time they came out with this album, the album is called Plastic Soul Impalement. They had kind of found this unique little niche of sound that is on this album. And they kind of had created this creepy, weird horror slash noise vibe of hardcore music, which was, I've never heard anything else like it ever that comes close to this. <clears throat> like, obviously there's other bands that do noise core grind core and stuff like that, but they just have this weird, creepy, almost like horror esque vibe to it. And there was two different, uh, two. Yeah, there was two different cover arts. So depending on which album you bought, you got a different cover art. One of them was like a doll, like a plastic doll pinned to a board, like a insect. And then oh, the okay. other one was the one that I got, which was like, it was like a, a drawing of a, a, a kind of like twisted lady yes. uh, underneath a cemetery. Yeah, like that's the one on that's either on. side with angels. Yeah. So with like these stone angels on either side and like little plastic dolls in the dirt around. So it's just, it's very like dark, kind of just like death, doom, kind of like feel horror slash music. And the first song, the first track, I should say, it's a very interesting intro track. It's just creepy vibes with like the whole nineties, like hard music whispering over it. <laughs> like a lot of hard bands at the time would just come yeah. in and like whisper during like breakdowns or, like, or like, like breaks in a song. Can you feel that? Yeah. Shit. <laughs> That's down. What is that? That's down with the sickness, right? That's Where he starts that. He's like, yeah. can you feel that? Yeah. I just like that one. Cause he's like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> But he's just, he's in there like whispering. And if you're like, first time I'm listening to this, I'm like, I have the CD in my hand with the cover art. And so I'm hearing it with headphones on. It's like this creepy whispering with this, no, just this eerie sounds. It's not even music. It's just eerie sounds in the background. And it just kind of like, there's this woman buried under a cemetery. And you're just like, whoa, this is something different. And, and it gets to the end of that. And the first real song, I guess you could say, is a song mm. called A Good Feeling. And I feel like it's a great first song to the album. It gives you an idea of what you're in for for the next hour. And yeah. the, the opening words of him just screaming, this is only a test, just set the stage for the whole rest of the album. And the first riff just like tears into your ears with a full-on assault. It's just like very abrasive, very just like in your face. And the drums just like, it's, the drums are kind of scattered. And the, the song is like chopped into weird little bits. And it's, it's very, there's a lot of changes when the riffs, a lot of changes in the drums and like a few timing changes. And it's just back and forth between these riffs and breaks, but they don't necessarily coalesce into like chorus, you know, verse, chorus, verse, bridge. No, chorus. It's more just like parts. Right. And so it's yeah, like, here's part one, here's part two. Right. I wouldn't say it's a, a chorus. Right. Yeah. And it's like, and the, the words have no real structure to him. It's just him like screaming out, like whatever his thoughts are, which is really kind of, to me, I was like, well, I never heard anything like this. Like songs up until that point in my life were verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. And so yeah. I was like, whoa, these guys are just doing something really cool and new and unique and I really like that song it's it's got some fantastic changes a great breakdown before going back into the opening opening riff which ends the song and it's it's very chaotic but then it goes into the next track brother hezekiah which I think is probably the most 
quote, standard normal song on the whole album. It's got more of a song type structure. It's got like the intro and then it's got like a, what I would call more of a traditional verse and then a traditional chorus and then a traditional verse again with some parts in between. And that song is really, really fun to me because it's, Oh, I lost my notes. What the, Oh, here we are. So it, it, this, this, that intro, it's just that shrieking, like distorted guitar is once again, like it's, it's abrasive and almost like pushes you away. But at least for me, it like sucks me into it. Oh man, I lost you. Oh. Dan, you there? I can see you. Hello? Dan? You're back. Okay, yeah, I can see you the whole time. I don't know what happened. I can see and hear you. Could? You could? Okay. I, I lost you uh, right as you started talking about Brother Hezekiah and how uh, you, you said um, it follows a more traditional pattern. And like right. right after you said that, right after you said I lost my notes, when you it it froze oh, okay. up. So it froze up. do you want to take it over from? Yeah, I'll just take start it over, over from, from there. there. Okay, I'm just going to yeah, start over way, from that track. Okay. So the this the third track is a song called Brother Hezekiah. Uh, the, this album has a way of taking like the shrieky, shrieking guitars and just coalescing them into a workable song, but it's not really a song. It's it's really hard to describe. It's something you have to listen to to experience. But this song has the most standard song format. You know, it's got chorus, verse, you know, in the standard form and order with a really cool breakdown and stuff at the end. And it's it's a great song. You can really feel like the vocalist frustration and anger. You know, he's obviously venting about to somebody, someone who like abandoned him or, you know, someone who's like really it's just like, you know, someone who just like left him kind of a brother thing. Hezekiah. I, I know so this is what's interesting. I know this is a Christian band. Yeah. And so I, I didn't, I didn't get too deep into like their lyrics, but brother Hezekiah made me laugh a little bit because do you remember the movie Kingpin with Woody Harrelson? Oh, I haven't seen Bill that Murray? in years. It's been, yeah. But for some reason, when he goes to the Amish community to like recruit Randy Quaid yeah. for bowling, he, he tells him his name is brother Hezekiah and stuff. And that's what he like, <laughs> like he comes out with running, holding the pail and he's like, Oh, I got up early and I milked your cow. And he's like drinking out. Like, we don't have a cow. We have a bull. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, to me, so that like, I got a little silly. I probably, I probably <laughs> ruined it while I was listening to that. Just thinking about the movie. King <laughs> no, I understand. That's not ruining it. That's actually funny. To me, this never, like, yeah, they were on a Christian record label. To me, it was never really like. I mean, to my parents, it was like, oh yeah, they're on a Christian label, so it's okay. But um, they, they, they're not preachy or anything. And most no, of the song, it's just all about at all. It's all just mostly about whatever experience the song is about. And everything is very dark. Like I remember my friend who introduced this CD to me, his parents hated it. They were like, you need to get rid of it. And like, I was what, 16 at the time. They're like, you need to get rid of it. Cause there's a, a song later on that just talks all about death. And so they were like, Oh, it's too much talk about death to be like any good. But I was like, it's not talking about murder. It's just talking about death. Like, why do we avoid talking about death? But a uh, Brother Hezekiah is a great, fun song. And so then after that ends, it goes into the next track, Two Hands, which to me, when I listen to it, it, it it's, there's this like intro of just like 
noise and it sounds like you're lost in like this gigantic corridors of a spaceship to me it's and like someone's like talking to you over the pa at least that's the vibe i get when i hear it and it's just more creepiness more just like you're in this dark gloomy place that echoes a lot and then the the song itself hits and when it hits it hits it, it that's that was one of my favorite ones for yeah, sure Two it's hands, yeah. yeah it's a fan and it like because it, it's it the the hi-hats of the drums like started off but when like everything else comes in it's like a, a kick to the face it's just like boom the whole song explodes and it's very brief it's like under two minutes but it's all just very high intensity high energy yeah. and, it, and when it ends it ends the same way it started just bam it's yeah. so good it's so well done and then it goes into Pretty Picture of Lies, which is the song about death. That was another one that I liked a lot. Yeah, it's... Oh, I love that song. It starts off like all the... They they have a similar way of starting songs. It's usually the guitar or like a drum beat, but most of the time it's the guitar on like this weird like dissonant chord that's just very abrasive that brings it in. Uh, the... the the uh this song pretty picture of lies i really like but i feel like the last half of the song just really begins to shine because it goes into this breakdown and he's just screaming he's like come to me when you want to die and it's it just the the music changes and it changes into this other i don't know it's like a little bit slower of a beat not slow but it's slower than the first half of the song but it just grooves it's a Mm -hmm. hard punchy groove and it really just goes great until the end and uh, uh, after that, uh, it goes into Black Forest, which is the only low point in the track for me. It's just three minutes of somebody on a didgeridoo with noise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, every time I hear it, I'm like, okay, I'll, script, I'll, I'll just skip this. It's just a didgeridoo and noise. It's, I was like, I don't know why this is on here. Obviously, it was probably for some, like, some, sort of a, some sort of aesthetic or they just wanted to be different. I feel like it doesn't really have a place on the album, but you know, whatever they wanted to do, they wanted to do it for. <laughs> and then it, the following track is one zero one same type of format guitar brings it in. Uh, the midpoint of the song is my favorite part. You want to bang your head, but you can't cause the beat's so weird. Uh, <laughs> you're just, like, I liked, <laughs> I liked, I liked that a lot though. I liked when they, um, started changing things up with the time signature yeah. and, and things like that. Um, a little, uh, you know, I know you talked about noise core and grind core, a little couple of precursors to, um, some math rock mm-hmm. that's in there too. I mean, like some of their stuff is, is deceivingly complex. Yes. I got the feeling as I was listening to it. I mean, kind of the second go around, third go around. Away. There's, there's more to meets the eye here and, and there's some, um, rhythmic stuff going on between the three of them. Oh Yeah. Uh, I guess it's three between, between the, the mainly the instruments, yeah. not necessarily the singer, but those three, they're all in lock. They're in step. Yeah. And it's the, that was a big, the, the first big takeaway I had listening to is like, man, the drummer drives this band. Oh yeah. He is, he is the life force of it. Without him, they would not have any sense of order right. to it at all. Same riffs, same everything. And I think even with a different drummer, it wouldn't be as good. Whoever this guy is, I didn't catch his name, mm-hmm. um, but he's, he's really the glue. Yeah. Oh yeah. The drums bring this thing together. Yeah. It's definitely the glue. Cause it, yeah, the, it's not traditional beats, but yeah, it is, I guess you're all right. It's like math metal before math. I ever heard of math metal. It's yeah. grindcore and noise core, but there's a lot of time changes and, but it all fits together and it's, it, it yeah, the drums are like the thing that I feel like you, you're tapping your foot to, or you're like, you know, wanting to headbang to. That's what really, 
really gets it. Um, yeah, one zero one. Uh, when the song kicks back from the breakdown, and he just like has this like blood curdling scream. It almost every time I get chills up and down my spine. It's just such a good like build to the end, and then the end. It's just like oh, <laughs> it's just so ah, that's good. Awesome. And then uh, the next track, uh, "Burning Match in Hand," which is uh, like some more noise at the beginning, like ambient noise. And then a line from the movie Braveheart before the song kicks in. And uh, I didn't realize that that was I from Braveheart catch, until I, catch that. Like, I watched Braveheart maybe like 10 years ago. And I was like, Oh, that's from that song. Hey. That's funny. Okay. I didn't catch that at all. Yeah. And so, um, <laughs> it'd be funny if right before it, it was a different line from Braveheart and it was a part where he's like, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> just like slams you with this This horrible horrible noise yeah (laughs) this song is the only song that starts off with the bass and this song is unique in that aspect but it also goes for they brought like more melody to it like actual melody instead of just noise like the what you could call like the middle section or chorus has more melody to it and then the ending of the song is slowed down with a little bit more like chorus on a cleaner guitar a little bit of distortion on it and it's it's not a traditional melody, but the vocalist is singing instead of screaming. And it's mm-hmm. really fun to hear like, oh, okay, they can do more than just scream and make noise, you know, because a lot of people that I would show this to, I'm like, oh, isn't this amazing? Like, oh, this is just noise. This is chaos. I'm like, no, but there's so much more to it. And like, this song is a good example of that. And so then after that, they just go into their track Human Shield, which is the inverse of that. Like the, the second riff of that song, it's just like noise of like, it sounds like they're just like moving their hands up and down the fretboard just randomly playing all six strings it's just noise and grindy and grimy but it just fits the it's a short song but it's raw and it's abrasive but once again it's done in such a good way with those drums for sure yeah and then it goes into another i feel like they were like every couple songs are like, Hey, let's try something new or let's try and, you know, explore something different. So then that they come to this track called a single handed attempt at revolution, which is, which was the last song that I had written as being one of my favorites. Yeah. It's to me, one of the weirdest tracks, or I should say oddest tracks on the album. Not that it's a bad thing. It's split into three parts. So you have like their typical song style, which is the first part. And then you have the second part, which is just the drums and him like ranting, talking. And that's what sold me. Yeah. (laughs) It's what makes the song great. That's what, that's what, that's what hooked me. I was listening to it. And, and uh, when that part came and I even wrote, I really liked the rant in the middle. Yeah. Um, I didn't necessarily, I didn't care what he was saying so much, but it was, it was a really cool change. And it was, it was kind of, um, pontificate pontificatory you know just this stream of consciousness it felt like stuff coming out of him it felt um i almost could picture him doing that with like a megaphone yeah at a concert yeah and having that be a really cool moment like how scott wyland used to use a megaphone for stuff on core mm-hmm. and how maynard from tool uses it sometimes so that was a uh, high point for me was that one especially yeah and then that rant builds into like the ending, which like the guitars come in, follow the drums with the drum. Once again, the drummer is carrying that whole song and, uh, it builds up to the end, which ends like the last riff is very much back to their traditional kind of just like they're, 
the way they play music. It's re- it's hard to describe. It's something you have to like listen to. I could like you know you can say certain things about it, but it's and the thing about this album is I've never really been able to find any other artists that do something similar. In least in the, the that grasp the ambiance that this album has. That's really interesting because I had a slightly different take. Oh, okay. Which is? Are you so? Okay. Well, I don't. I mean, I want to let you finish. Okay. Your breakdown. Okay. Well, then the, there's because the, you're doing such a good job. <laughs> those are the last. <laughs> I'm I'm proud of you. <laughs> I believe in you. Yes. Uh, there's the last track, a gift to a dying friend. Uh, the final track on this album, it hits hard both emotionally and then just audibly. It's a great final song. It's the first track I heard off of this album. And so I was just like, whoa, first time I heard this, I was blown away. And I was like, okay, not my favorite, but then I was like, okay, I'm going to keep an open mind and listen to it, listen to the rest of it. And the rest of the album grew on me, but Gift to a Dying Friend has always been something that I really enjoy. And then in true 1990s fashion, there's a secret song at the end yes. of the, the album, like two minutes of drums and noise effects and him just screaming, you don't scare me. Hidden tracks. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was, that's my like breakdown of the tracks. What were you going to say, Dan? Well, two things really quick. Number one, um, if you had to pick a favorite hidden track Ooh. from the 90, from all of the 90s stuff, from all do you of have the, one that... Yeah, yeah, there's one that... This is my second favorite, actually. Is it Green Day, I Was Alone, I Was All By Myself? No, it's Dookie. not. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's that, a treat. That's a top five one for sure. My, my favorite hidden track is the hidden track from Deftone's second album, Around the Fur. Oh yeah, that's strong. Okay, it's a I, didn't even, I wasn't even thinking that. And you, I, you, that makes sense. You'd pick them. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. I had to pick a serious one, um, honestly, there's Nine Inch Nails' "Broken" EP has two songs that aren't listed in the track in the tracks at all, mm-hmm. and it's like tracks. When you put the CD in, I remember this from the '90s. It would come up and it tell you how many songs, how many track listings are, and there's 99 of them. <laughs> there's six of them, and then it skips you know, eight, nine, 10, 10, and all the way to 98. And the 98 is a song called physical. And then 99 is a song called suck. And those are two really good songs. So those would be my favorite. My favorite silly ones are, uh, green day. I I mean, come on. Yeah. (laughs) I was all by myself. And then, uh, didn't corn do a Cheech and Chong song. Yeah, they did on follow the leader with with Cheech singing over the really heavy riff. That was a lot of fun. And, uh, and then my favorite one, as far as the ingenuity, was it's not a good song, but um, better than Ezra. You remember them from the oh, 90s? Yeah. Little Louisiana band. They had one record, I think it was their second album, Friction Baby, where when you'd put it on, if you played track one, and as soon as track one hit, if you hit rewind, uh-huh. it would rewind. And the hidden track was actually before Four. track one began. And I always thought that was kind of a cool thing to do. It was, it was a neat yeah. little thing to discover, a little Easter egg yeah. in, in the hidden track thing. So what I was going to say about the, the overall album mm-hmm. is what's really funny is, is um, I can see how hearing this from your perspective, if I had been in your shoes and heard it when you heard it, I would feel almost the exact same way that you do about this. Mm-hmm. Okay. However, having heard other bands that have come after this, that clearly I, w- I w- I'm, I would put money down and say that they've listened to this band as a major influence just because 
who who was doing this kind of stuff before then? Exactly. Not many people. Yeah. Um, but I got major Dillinger escape plan vibes mm-hmm. from this, especially with the introduction of the kind of math rock stuff later on in the record. Yeah. And the chaos, the organized chaos part of it and the intensity of it is what reminded me so much of Dillinger escape plan. And then another band called the chariot. Yep. Oh yes. Which Total sound chariot vibes. very, very similar to this. Yeah. And I love, I, I, it's so it took me a long time to like both the Dillinger escape plan and the chariot. Mm-hmm. And I mean, very similar kind of thing with, with raw, except I had to hear that a lot and I really had to go, what is it about this? That's challenging. Why is it, why is it making me uncomfortable and what's in here? How can I, you know, peel the onion and start to get into the different layers and appreciate it. Um, and it's, it's, I think part of that's because when every song is at a 10 like that, where do you go? Where exactly. do you go from there? Exactly. Except down sometimes, yeah. right? And those type of bands, very rare for the Chariot and Dillinger and for Training for Utopia to dial it back. Oh, yeah. I, I, my overall thoughts. I, so the thing that I had is once I, as I was listening to it, the problem is, is that the cart came before the horse for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So because I'd heard this later stuff, I could not help but compare it to, to- Dillinger Escape and to the Chariot. And overall, I feel like they took something good that Training for Utopia was doing, and I feel like they just did it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, um, I, and that's not to say I didn't enjoy Training for Utopia, because I really did. I was listening to it in my car with no power, and that was my source of heat. I, did, I, listened, I gave this a couple of run-throughs. I listened to it with a good pair of headphones, and I gave it the car test. How does it sound in the car? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of filler on the record, there's, there's a lot of fluff. I will say that once you made the connection to me about the, uh, the kind of horror element, yeah. all of a sudden I, I, I didn't mind it as much. My initial impression, the first few times listening to it without hearing your take on it was, I feel like they could have cut about 20 minutes off of this record and it would have <laughs> been that much better. Uh huh. Okay. And a lot of it's just from the extra stuff. But as soon as you said what you said just now, I had an instant trigger where it reminded me of two things. Number one, that opening track, um, which it could have been, it, it's still, in my opinion, just about a minute too long. Yeah. Um, but you know what it reminded me of now that I think about it was the, the intro to uh, East 1999 Eternal by Bone Thugs and Harmony. <laughs> like track number one on there. And it's sort of that's tapping into that same vibe. Mm-hmm. And then uh, another song that has that ambient stuff at the end, 101, mm-hmm. has this kind of like fire burning effect yeah. at the end of it that goes on for a little bit. And that's, that's it's, I get it. It's the calm in between two storms. You know, I never put it together that add, that that's adding to this horror right. tonality to the whole kind of album. And um, there's another band that that I like a lot. That's a, it's I like a lot of horrorcore rap music. Um, Clipping is a really fun group. They're they're really great. In fact, we're I'm going to do one of their albums coming up soon on the podcast. And they have a track on one of their records that it's like 12 minutes. And I think the track is called Piano Burning. Uh And that's all it is, is they set a piano on fire and it's the sound of the piano burning. (laughs) But it's very ambient. And at the same time, though, when when mixed in with the rest of their music, there's a tone, there's a vibe that they're tapping into. And so, you know, I almost want to go back and give this one another listen now, just based on what you said there. Mm Mm-hmm. And to see if I have a different perspective about the overall thing, because the other the other part of it too is um, 
I'm probably being a little too critical about this record because it's been a tough week. Yeah. <laughs> and here in Texas, it's just been a hell of a week. And a lot of that was reflected in listening to, to this. I probably wasn't in the best headspace to take it all in the way that I should. So I'm going to, I'm going to have a, a judgment. I'm going to have a rating today, uh-huh. but that's not, I'm not done with this. Uh, I am not going to put it on the shelf necessarily. I eventually do want to come back and revisit this cool. record yeah. and see if I, and, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll have a different perspective. Yeah. I think it's funny. Cause like the other people that I know that have listened to this, not too many other people picked up on the horror vibe. It was just like, Oh, that's noise. I want to get to the music. And I'll be honest. Like when this came out in 1998, the first few times I listened to it, I was like the same way. Oh, just get to the music. But then maybe like after a year or so of having this, I remember just like on a drive late at night, you know, I'm driving through the country in California and it's kind of like got this creepy ambiance yeah. horror thing. And it's like this, this, this mute, this in between. And even the music is creepy. And here I am driving through the dark in a 1967 VW Beetle with really bad headlights. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to die <laughs> Yeah, right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, that yeah. was like what made me kind of realize it. I was like, Oh, this is creepy, but it's so cool. <laughs> and it's so funny because I have other, I have other, albums that do similar things where they have these long interludes or these long breakdowns yeah. that's that's meant to strike a chord no pun intended <laughs> with yeah with the listener and to and to really tap into a vibe mm-hmm. and um but for some reason uh I, you know it, it just makes perfect sense when you said that that it's like a horror movie it's it really is it's building up i think a sense of i think their intention behind it is to build up a sense of suspense yes so that when the next song comes in, which is usually that high intensity, yeah, almost almost like um, not blast beat necessarily, but it, it just high energy and and a lot of chaos going on. Mm-hmm. So when those things come in, I think it's meant to be more of like a jump scare. Yes, yeah, it is. It's very much like that. Uh, my favorite three songs on this are. It's got to be a good feeling. Uh-huh. Um, Gift to a Dying Friend and 101. Those songs just really... I mean, I, I like them all. There's not a single song. The only track I don't really care for is just the didgeridoo Black Forest track. It's just noise. Like, I'm just, it does, to me, it doesn't, it like, it sort of has like the horror vibe to it, but not really. The didgeridoo doesn't really kind of do it for me. I'm just like, oh, that's the sound of Australia. Okay, giant snakes. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's just like, that's the only low point in the album. And actually, because of that, track black forest i was going to give this a perfect five but because of that i wow. just can't i'm giving it four and a half beards that one th- it, i feel like they could have rearranged it done something differently but just because of the ambiance that the album has to me i don't like themes necessarily all the time in the music i listen to or like themed albums all the time like every okay. once in a while if somebody does it good i like it but this is one of those few ones where i'm like this has got a theme this has got like something they're trying to like take you through they aren't just giving you 10 11 tracks to listen to this is a whole experience and it's yeah. done so well except for black forest i gotta give it four and a half beards i see crocodile dundee scares the shit out of me so. <laughs> That's the most terrifying song on the record. No, I, man, I was, I was really critical on this. Um, 
had songs that I liked. The songs that I liked were A Good Feeling, mm-hmm. Two Hands, I thought was a really good song. Mm-hmm. I picked four that I, li- I liked the best. Pretty Picture of Lies, mm-hmm. and then uh, Single-Handed Attempt at Revolution, that second to last track, yeah. I think. Um, those are the things I liked. I feel like the production overall sounded kind of thin. Mm-hmm. I won't fault the band for that, though. I don't think that that's a creative choice. I think that's a, it's probably a budget choice. This sounds like they went in and they had a tight, tight budget. Mm-hmm. They probably recorded this in a matter of days, not oh, I'm weeks. Sure. Yeah. And just kind of, it is what it is. So it almost has, it's not like a, it's, it's almost like they, they tried to overcompensate for a lo-fi sound mm-hmm. by cranking up the treble. Yeah. And when whoever mixed it and whoever did that on the engineering side did that and added reverb in some places that made it a little bit too difficult to make out with clarity what was going on. Mm -hmm. So I didn't care for that. And, and at the time sitting in my car in, you know, freezing weather (laughs) in the worst ice capade that we've had in a long time here in Texas, it, I was I was probably too critical on this record. I gave it a two and a half beards. Mm-hmm. I gave it I gave it half of your rating, Mark. I'm so sorry about that. Um, and I even wrote a note. I wrote, kudos to them for being pioneers, but there are other bands who do this better. Uh-huh. Had I heard this in the 90s, I probably would have liked it a lot more. Mm-hmm. And so, again, putting myself into your shoes, if I were right there with you and we were in Sacramento and listening to this together... I would put money down and say this would be one of my favorite records of the decade then. Yeah. But because I've heard yeah. specifically bands like The Chariot, Norma Jean, yeah, Dillinger, Dillinger Escape Plan, Plan, yeah, everybody who came after that, and I feel like they just did a little bit better. It's kind of like... Uh, it, it, it'd be like if you only ever heard Megadeth and then somebody showed you Metallica and you were like, oh... Clearly, yeah. they're the same thing, but Metallica is just that much better at writing a song, than right? Megadeth, you know, <laughs> Megadeth's probably a better uh, in some kind of respects, depending on who you're asking. But that's that. That was the impression that I got. Okay, yeah. So, and you said you wanted to go revisit it, so I I will. Uh, <laughs> let's let's take let's make a note, and I'll let you if you can set a reminder for some time and remind me to come back, and we'll do a revisit of this record. Okay. And to see if if time changes your and thoughts, <laughs> changes my opinion on it, and, um, and also also a little bit of mine, state I, of mine too. I uh, I actually I'm gonna be honest with you. When I picked this, I knew like there's certain aspects of the music I knew you would enjoy, but then at the same time, knowing how this record had to grow on me, I'm not surprised that you're saying that. Because like I said, okay. my friend introduced this to me and like first time I was like, Gift to a Dying Friend was the only thing I kind of liked. And other than that, I was just like, ugh, I don't like it. And after time of just hearing it with him and then I finally was like, okay, this is good enough for me to purchase. And then I bought my own copy and then I began to appreciate it more. But that was over a period of like a couple months. So I, I, I was like, I bet you Dan's going to come and kind of a little... Heavy handed with the, Low ball the rating there, but then Low I was like, it. if he keeps on listening to it, I bet it'll grow on him. <laughs> it's it's a warts and all record. It's it very much is. Um, it's it's got its imperfections. Those aren't necessarily a bad thing, right? And 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 again, a, part of the reason why I was so tough on this is because I it's an hour and two minutes, mm-hmm. and I felt like if it was a forty five minute record, right? And they at my first couple of go rounds. I was like, if they, if they would have even, even some of the ambient stuff, if they would have just 
cut it a minute short or cut it 30 seconds short and saved some of that time, even some of that would have affected my opinion. But it being a kind of a warts and all thing, it, if you take it at, for the whole package of it, it's mm-hmm. it's an enjoyable record. And I like music. I like stuff that's challenging. I like stuff that you really have to work to like <laughs> to and not, not to like it, but um, that it, it 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 just it puts you in a position where you really have to concentrate. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a level of focus that's required for music like this. Yes. And I enjoy that. I typically like it when bands do that because uh, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's more of, it's less of an invitation mm-hmm. and more of a, they're the, I don't know. They're like the cool kids <laughs> and you want to be in that group. Yeah. And so you're going to work to try to, to like, like that. get in, to be it, to get in with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I dig right that. now today, two and a half. Okay. That may change later. That Um, may change. Just to let you know, I know there's a studio where this album was recorded, and Harmonic Studios. Uh, They were signed to that indie label. What was it? Solid State Records. Not a big... They didn't have a lot of money behind them. But I will say this. A lot of other Sacramento bands that recorded at Inharmonic Studios had that same sound to them. Just oh, really? unpolished, lots of treble. And so okay. a lot of the other bands, like I have a few other, you know, a few other records I can think of off the top of my head. And they have a very similar sound to them. Obviously, it was like the late 90s. But so then to me hearing that, I was like, okay, if you go and record at that studio, you're probably getting what you pay for. <laughs> you're going to get, it's either the studio or it's whoever runs that studio. Right. It's a small type of thing right. where it's like one guy and he's like, Hey, I'm the engineer. I'm the producer. It's just my little baby. Yeah. Come on in. And he hasn't had a whole lot of formal training on how to record stuff. He's yeah. just figuring that as he goes, I can see why a lot of stuff would have that sound. Um, and especially from like a hardcore or a punk and from a DIY yeah. aesthetic, I can be very forgiving of that kind of stuff. Um, it's just, you know, to borrow a phrase from Adam Radliff, if I had my druthers, yeah. <laughs> I would have dialed back the reverb and turned down the trouble. Yeah. It's, they were trying to do something, but yeah, they did. I don't know. I think they did a bang up job. Obviously I know I'm probably going to be the minority on that because your average person is going to listen to that and go, this is noise. This is chaos. And I'm getting a headache. <laughs> that's not, that's not a judgment thing from me though. Um, and you'll, you'll notice as we start to go through this, I like a lot of stuff that, more people don't like Mm -hmm. than do like, you know, the overwhelming majority of people, that's part of the fun of, of good art and good music is why does this hit me on an individual level? What is it about it that resonates with me specifically? Right. And, and I like the quest to try to figure that out. I like the, I like the introspection that's required for music like this, that when other people who aren't willing, and that's, that's what I meant, I guess, by some of the work Mm -hmm. that you have to do. Um, that on a surface level, it's ugly. Yeah. <laughs> it's very ugly, but, but there's an attraction there. So why am I drawn to this? What is it about this ugliness <laughs> that, that piques my interest, you know? Um, so yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's training for utopia, plastic soul impalement. And what did you pick this week, Dan? This week, based on last week's episode where you had me review from one by the band Ra, mm-hmm. and we talked about what it, some of the things that they reminded me of and their singer Ra, um, you mentioned he's got a lot of sting influence. Uh-huh. I said his voice sounds a little bit like uh, Queensryche mm-hmm. and Jeff Tate. And I, it's funny. I even, 
short side note before I introduce the record, I went back and listened to some Queensryche this week just to see if I was right or wrong. Mm-hmm. I was about half there. <laughs> there's, there's a couple of, there's a couple of like, like eyes of a stranger. Um, I felt like could have been similar to it. And I think, I think mostly what I was just hearing is you've got the, the similarities in Queensryche to raw is you've got a very talented vocalist up front. Queensryche is a little more operatic. Yeah. Raw is not, but mm. they also have that. They have a virtuosity. They have a technical ability to their singing that shines through. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, I remember hearing about Queensryche and from my guitar teacher in high school, and I have no idea if this is true or not. But he said the rumor about Jeff Tate from Queensryche is he's trained enough and good enough of a singer that he really doesn't need a microphone. He can project and control himself that much to where he could increase his volume loud enough to be heard over the band mm-hmm. without anything and still be on pitch, still have perfect inflection, everything that you need to be. And that says a lot about him. And that's, that's what I meant when I got the same vibe from raw and the band that I chose for this week has another very dynamic front man. And that band is fair to Midland. They are a Texas based band out of sulfur spring, Texas. This is their 2011 release titled arrows and anchors. It's their last album that they ever recorded. Fair to Midland is broken up. They are no more. They're done. I have no clue what any of the band members are doing today. It's really kind of sad because I I grew to like this record a lot. Mm-hmm. They've had I've, they have two records that I've heard. The first one is Fables from a Mayfly, and that's their that came out in like two thousand and seven. They were signed from Texas. This is kind of cool to Serge Tankian's label. The mm-hmm. singer from System of a Down picked them up and and put them on his music label and got them started. Um, but they're a, they're a prog band. So again, from raw <laughs> to Queensryche to fair to Midland, you can see how we connect the dots between those three bands. Yeah. Overall. Um, what I like about this record, um, there is a theatricality to what they do. And I am, gr- I, I am drawn to a lot of music that has a theatricality to it. Mm-hmm. Anything from stuff that sounds operatic. I like a lot of stuff where the singer could be doing what he's doing in a, a Broadway musical just as well as in a rock group sometimes. I like the over-the-top shock rock of Alice Cooper and Marilyn Manson. Tons of things that I pick as as a lot of times being music that I like and I'm drawn to has an element of performance theatricality to it. And Fair to Midland is no exception to it, right? Especially being in the prog rock genre, which is typically known for that. What I like that they do that strays a little bit, um, lyrically, I don't know. I don't pay too much attention to the lyrics except for one song that's completely silly that we'll talk about. <laughs> yes. You know which one it is. You know we're going to get there. Oh, yeah. Um <laughs> But overall, I get the feeling like they're tapping into some typically kind of prog rock lyrics, but not going into the fantasy realm of like Dungeons and Dragons mm. or like uh, Greek mythology that you would hear sometimes in like really cheesy prog rock. Yeah, um, it all seems to be somewhat based. They, they, I feel like they write a songs that are fable based or or and have these nods to different fables, mm-hmm. like Aesop's fables a lot of times. Um, and th- there's a there's a theme there of that coming throughout. But um, it's a it's a good record for being prog. What's interesting about it, they're lumped into that genre, but it's only because their singer has a lot of the same kind of qualities of a prog rock singer, and they incorporate different 
elements, but none of their stuff really goes into overlong songs. There's not a lot of uh, unnecessary guitar solos, not a lot of time signature, you know, too complex time signatures like you would get with a dream theater. Right. For example, what I like about this band is that these are, these are pretty straightforward rock songs. They're yes. pretty straightforward rock tracks for the most part that just have proggy elements mm. sprinkled into it. Mm-hmm. Um, the I'm, I don't I didn't really do I didn't really prepare like a a super big track by track breakdown except that all to say that for me when I listen to this record arrows and anchors um, it's a it's a, it's a little bit of a slow ramp so track number one is more mostly just a an intro to the rest of the album it's called Heavens to Murgatroyd um, which I love that reference because I don't know if it's an intentional thing toward uh, Snagglepuss from the old Hanna Barbera <laughs> cartoons where it's like Heavens to Murgatroyd I don't know if it's him specifically but I dig that. Um, track two I thought is it has a really good the pace picks up you're, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of sets the tone but it's still not one of my favorite songs. The The album starts to pick up for me with uh, tracks three and four specifically mm-hmm. um, so that as it goes in and that's, that's musical chairs and uh Oh, where you start to get a little more of um, I think that's when the singer starts to have a little more dynamics. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that um, from there it goes into a song called Amarillo sleeps on my pillow, which uh, has a little bit of like a, a Southern rock kind of vibe to yeah. it. Um, Track six, the loophole in limbo. And from there, it gets into Typhoid Mary sends her best. And there's a couple of songs that are short interludes in between other songs. Um, I actually feel like this record gets better as it goes. It's, it's a, each song for the most part kind of gets a little bit better to me than the one that came before it, or mm-hmm. I end up liking it a little bit better than the one that came before it. And then the, And I think part of the reason for that, and I wrote this down, is um, as the record goes on, they're a, they're a five-piece group. Mm-hmm. There's more keyboard taking the lead in the later tracks than there is in the earlier tracks. The earlier yeah. tracks seem to be very guitar-driven, almost like the keyboard player is not really in the mix. Right. And Tracks two, three, four, with the exception of the organ solo at the beginning. But what I really like is by the by the last half of the re- record, like in songs like Golden Parachutes and the closing track, especially the Greener Grass, um, you get a little more lead or counter melodies to what the singer's singing with the keyboard. And that works really nicely. The singer is, for me, the biggest draw of this band. Um, I like this guy a lot. I always forget his name. I'm bad about band names, so bear with me, singer guy from Fair to Midland, if you're listening. <laughs> Which you're not. You're working at Pet Boys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> your, your band's broken up. You didn't do it. No, just, that's me. Um, but this guy's, got a, this guy's got a really cool kind of two-punch that he does. Um, it's more, he does it more on the first record, but I like this record better. I think the songs are better than, than the other one. Um, but he's got a very high voice. He's able to hit those kind of Queensryche high yep. notes that are soaring. He's, he's got a good, um, uh, he's got good lung capacity. He's able to hold these notes for a really long time. Mm-hmm. The Greener Grass, last song on the album that closes it out, has these these parts where he's just sustaining a note for a really long time, and it's very cool. But I also like that he's very capable of doing some throat singing, mm-hmm. and that he can transition from the high 
Queensryche style to almost this. Um, I know it's so funny. It's the second time I'm bringing up raw, white zombie in two weeks <laughs> last because last week the drums from raw reminded me of, yeah. of white zombie. But when he does his throat singing, he sounds like Rob zombie to me. He yeah. sounds like more human than human, yeah. like that kind of throat singing. And I, maybe I, you know, grew up listening to white zombie. So another kind of over the top theatrical band Yeah, <laughs> that when I hear that I'm drawn to it and I like it a lot. Um, that's heavily, heavily prevalent in the song Ricky Ticky Tavi. Oh yeah. Which I do need to stop and we need to take a moment before we get into anything else and talk about how ridiculous that song is. Um, and it's it's really it's it's the only one that I want to spend time getting into. Um, so Ricky Ticky Tavi, it's the heaviest song on the record by yes, far. By far. Um, it is it is it's got it's a balance between a really, really heavy section and a complete juxtaposition of that where it goes into a very light and airy section. Yeah. Um, and it's, that's a, the chorus of it is very pretty and very major key. So you're bouncing from sort of two extremes in that, <laughs> but the lyrics of it, uh, it, it starts off. It's got this kind of piano twinkle yes. sound with some, some keyboards and stuff. And he's very softly going, listen to me, listen to me. And then when it kicks in, it's this flurry of noise for about 20 seconds. And you hear him go, hey, Ricky Dicky, Ricky Dicky, Ricky Dicky Dabby. <laughs> and I have no clue what it, the song is about, except that he's singing about Ricky Dicky Tabby. And the reason why the song makes me laugh is because Number one, it's it is cartoonish. I yes. think they know it's cartoonish. You can tell they know they're like I get the feeling they're just having fun and there's their tongue is planted firmly in their cheek yes. while they're performing this. Because there's like at the end when it, it ends with him doing this big scream, he's like, hi, Ricky, and he goes like blah, 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 yeah. like at the end of it. And like <laughs> I just get the feeling that's just having fun in the studio. Um on a personal note. That song has special relevance for me because one time, uh, oh, I, this song, this album's been out since like 2011, so I don't remember exactly when this happened, but um, I I had this on in my car one time on a drive to Louisiana with my wife, and she's super cool about not really paying attention while I'm driving. <laughs> she's like, she's like, you can just listen to whatever you want. I'll zone out because <laughs> she knows I listen to a lot of like really different music, mm-hmm. and I had this on, and that song came on, and she goes. She's like, what the fuck is this guy saying? Is he saying freaky deaky? (laughs) And Mark, I'm telling you, if you go back and listen to the song again from that perspective and imagine that he's saying freaky deaky, where he just screams, he screams, hey, for 20 seconds and he goes, hey, freaky deaky, freaky deaky. (laughs) It just takes on a whole new life. And what, what started off as kind of a silly track becomes so much more enjoyable if you pretend he's singing freaky deaky. Yeah. So that's, that's my, that's kind of my, my overall thing. Um, <laughs> what, what were your thoughts on the record? Um, yeah. Initially on the first listen through, I'll, my, I'll give you my first impression first. So on my first listen through, uh, whiskey and Ritalin, I really enjoyed the, I like the heavy guitars. I thought it was a good song and then musical chairs and all, uh Oh, I felt like, okay, this band is getting better. You know, these same, songs so same are, thing. yeah, these yeah. songs are getting better. And then I'll be perfectly honest when it got to Amarillo sleeps on my pillow. And I heard that like Southern twang with the banjo and the guitar. I rolled my eyes and I was like, Oh no. I was like, yeah. I, I was a first impression. I was like, I, I, I kind of cringed and I was like, 
I don't think I'm going to like this. And I then do not like that song. The, the heavy guitar came in and I was like, okay, that's a little bit better. And so then over the past, like, like I told you before, I'll listen to an album, you know, for the sake of reviewing it, I'm going to listen to it several times through. So Amarillo yeah. sleeps on my pillow began to grow on me, but to me, it just screams like Texas slash Arkansas. That's a, that's a, <laughs> if, if I had one, uh, one big change to make on the record. So same thing, same kind of critique against training for utopia. This, this record's a little overlong, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's 16 tracks or 15 tracks, it's spread across almost an hour. I think they could have cut the interludes and definitely could have cut Amarillo Sleeps on My Pillow. That song kind of sucks. I skip it every time. Um, I I skipped it the first few, t- or I should say I wanted to skip it the first few listen-throughs, and I was like, no, giving it on a shot. It's growing on me. I like it now. I still, I'm not a huge fan of the twangy southern guitar and bass and stuff, but I like the heavy guitar parts. It's it's got some merit to me, but I'm just like it's one of those things where I'm like I want to like this more, but it's it just can't get to that spot. It feels a little too different for compared to the rest of their sound, and that's my big issue with it. Yeah, it's it's like you know if it, it's kind of like how <laughs> it's like how people reacted to Happy Gilmore when he showed up on the golf course wearing hockey clothes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like <laughs> yeah, um, it just doesn't fit. Uh, loophole and limbo. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed his vocals on the chorus on the loophole and limbo. Uh, the interludes. Yeah. I wasn't much a fan of short haired tornado. Wasn't really a song I enjoyed. And I'll be honest with you after, um, a loophole and limbo, I felt like the album started to not, you know, I, I just didn't like it as much. Okay. And I was just like, okay, it's not, I was like, I just don't like it. And then the interludes and then, then all of a sudden Ricky Ticky Tavi comes in. <laughs> And I was like, whoa, this album just redeemed itself. <laughs> it came on and I was like, whoa, this, it just like hits. I was like, this is amazing. And so I listened it's to that just a, a couple song. times. I was like, I have to listen to that again. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, what was the other one? Uh, Copper Tank Island. I felt like out of the songs between the end and Ricky Ticky Tavi, Copper Tone Island was the one that really stood out to me. I really enjoyed it. Some of the other ones, like it just didn't really grab me as much, but I also felt like they could have shortened up the album a little bit. And I also really felt like Ricky Ticky Tavi should have been the ending track. I've been like five or six tracks after Ricky Ticky Tavi just seemed kind of too much for me. Okay. I, I was like, that was such a great, cause the way I listened to it through the first time, it like, it comes in and I was like, Oh, this is where the album should end. And I thought that was the end of the album and it <laughs> wasn't. And I was like, Oh, I got like five more tracks. And I was like, okay, the album should have ended there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can see that for sure. And see, it, it's funny that you mentioned that. Cause you talked about how you typically, you know, just earlier tonight mentioned that you don't, go for albums that have that, that overall experience as right. much. Right. Right. That that's not really. And one of my favorite songs, uh, the, the greener grass, like the last track on the record clearly feels like they're trying to have this big epic close to whatever kind of story they're trying to tell or whatever kind of experience that they're trying to provide in this record. Mm-hmm. It feels like they sat out to write a closing record song with that one yeah. and to bookend it with the same kind of callback to the organ that it opens with, which I wasn't, I, you know, not the strongest choice. I probably feel like they could have cut both of those. It was just unnecessary, but I get the intention behind it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I see, I see why you would feel 
the way that you feel about that. It would be very funny for just the record to end with him going, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it stops. I think that, yeah, I, I would have enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. I was, I think that that would have been great. Uh, my favorite tracks were, uh, Ricky, Ticky, Tavi, hands down whiskey and Ritalin and musical chairs. Those are my three favorites. Nice. I liked musical chairs. Um, I really liked golden parachutes. There's that keyboard part that happens in the middle. It's just this little arpeggio. Ah, man, for some reason that's, that like hits me. And then, um, I liked the greener grass. I liked the, the big chorus, Mm -hmm. uh, in that song a lot. Um, I also liked short hair tornado and, and a loophole in limbo. Those are, those were the other two that I picked. Um, my least favorites. Uh, I, I, the only reason, (laughs) the only reason I put Ricky Ticky Tavi as a worst favorite is just because it's so silly. And I almost feel like if he, if the lyrics would have been about anything else, it would have been the best song on the record because clearly (laughs) it's the one that hits the hardest. Yeah. But the, Ricky Dicky, Ricky Dicky, Ricky Dicky. I was like, what are you, what are you doing? Um, and you and I both agree. Amarillo sleeps on my pillow. It, that song sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. It really, it doesn't it really fit. does. Doesn't fit the rest of the record. Um, could have done without that one. So overall, uh, I enjoy this record. It's it's a fun record to listen to while I'm driving a lot of times, especially if a long road trip. I can just kind of put it on, with the exception of Amarillo, listen to it <laughs> from start to finish and really enjoy it. Um, I like the over-the-topness. I'm going to give it three and a half beards. Um, not, a, not a perfect record, but a fun thing to listen to <laughs> on the heels of Ra and talking about <laughs> theatrical Queens Reiki kind of prog music. Yeah. So my three and a half beards for me. I am also going to give it three and a half beards. I feel like the, the things that for me detracted from the album, kept it from being a four. Like it was a little too long, just a little too much content. If they had, and, and if it ended it, they'd change the Southern twang. Like I live in the South. Uh, I get it, but I'm just like, this just doesn't fit with your band. Like I yeah, know you're just, from this part of the country, which is great, but you're not a Southern rock band. But nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. So the cranberries were from Ireland. They didn't put bagpipes in every fucking song. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I wanted to give it four, but like after I had, I gave myself like time to sit and listen to it one more time last night. And I was like, no, I was like, I want to give this four, but I was like, I can't because there's enough points where I feel like it, 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 they take a step back. Like in my perspective, it's like, oh, we were bringing this, you know, this music to you. And I felt like, oh, this is really good. And then we're going to take a step back and then they give you something else good, but then we're going to take another step back. I'm like, stop toying with me. Get rid yeah. of the fucking banjo. <laughs> yeah. Just, just ditch, just ditch the fluff, yeah. you know? Um, <laughs> My part of why the reason why I gave it a three and a half, I thought, uh, yeah, same, the the songs that I like, I like a lot, and it's the ones that are really catchy. Um, one of the one of the issues that I had sometimes is uh, again, so sim- similar thing with training for Utopia, the drums really stand out. Yes, the drummer really stands out. He's a very good drummer, and he's he's pushing them. Um, the drummer and the singer are the highlights for me, and then the keyboardist as a, a, a distant third. I do feel like some of the album suffers from um not enough dynamics and i don't know if that's how they're compressing everything in the mixing or what the case may be but i wanted the louds to be louder and the quiets to be quieter and to have a little more of that burst i feel like that would have taken it something a little like that as far as an overall record would have helped push me up to a four that and cut the banjo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely cut the banjo. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that that's the, t- so do you have an idea of what you're going to uh, pick for next week? 
okay, so I'm I'm stuck between two options. I think I. Um, do you know? I'm gonna go with something newer because I mean, obviously, the first one, Little Dragon, that was a new album. I'm gonna do something newer and something not rock. So I'm picking something electronic. Ooh, okay. So what are you going to do for next week? Next week, I am going to do uh, an, an artist called Aluna, A-L-U-N-A, and her album, uh, Renaissance. And okay. I haven't listened to this one a whole lot. I've heard a few of the songs that came out in 2020, um, but I haven't sat down and given this like a real proper listen through. So nice. I feel like I'm going to be... I'm, obviously, I've heard some of it, so I feel like we're going to be coming at it from like a similar perspective. I've heard she was in another group and with a... And with another producer uh, group called the Luna George. I really like them. So I want to hear what her solo stuff is going to be like. Okay. And it's yeah, let's... electronic slash pop kind of stuff. UK so, artist. Based on that, based on what you said, I, that's going to decide for me as well. I'm going to do an older record, but it's on the, it's because it's the 10th anniversary this week of this record's release that I'm going to choose the one that I'm going to choose. Um, and it's Radiohead's the King of Limbs. Okay. Which, uh, it's very interesting because it, it's one of their more heavily yeah, electronic okay. records. I know they do a lot, but <laughs> yeah. this one, this one's a pretty unique listen. And um, Radiohead's been a band that, that has always had to have that kind of growth period for me. Uh, typically, everything they come out with, I don't want to like it, and I want to. <laughs> I I have a, such a resistance to liking Radiohead because um, part of it is I think they're fans. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like Fish and Tool yeah. in that respect. Like their fans are so obnoxious, and like I know you think they're the best band in the world, but once I can get past that and I listen to it on my own merit yeah. and I enjoy it. <laughs> Same thing with fish and with tool. I, you know, if I can get past their fans, then I'm good. Like if I could get a private concert with fish, it would be such a treat. Yeah. I just don't want to be in an arena with those douchebags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. I'm looking forward to hear that. I haven't listened to a lot of Radiohead, so that's going to be fun. This will be a fun down. one to explore. Yeah, especially I have a feeling that this, I, have, I haven't listened to this one in many years. Because it's the 10-year anniversary, it's going to be fun. Um, I want to hear how well it holds up. And also, um, I also, and I know that this is this is across the board, this has been one of the Radiohead records that even their fans say is one of the more challenging ones that Ooh, they've done. okay. And so um, I'm eager to come from Training for Utopia from that mm -hmm. challenge to a different kind of challenge yeah, and to see what's in store. Is it, is it, do we have to push through a certain, a different kind of ugliness <laughs> on the surface to try to tap into what's really going on? So we'll do Radiohead and what's your pick again? Aluna, her album Aluna. Ren Renaissance, A-L-U-N-A. Uh, I wanted to pick something just totally different to what Training for Utopia was. Training for Utopia was noise and horror and timing changes. It's, B, it's all done very well, at least to me. Uh, but this, I think, is a more palatable listen like from the get-go. It'll be, it'll be a cool change of pace, and I have a feeling that the two records that we're going to pick will complement each other kind of nicely. Cool. Yeah. I, so that's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun week. I'm excited. I'll send you a link to that when we're done. But anyways, before we wrap up, uh, everybody out there, please reach out to us. You can email us at wherepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at uh, Mr. Underscore pockets 21 and Dan. You can find me at Dan in Houston on Instagram. And if you're in Houston, come see Dan do stand up. I went with my lady out to see Dan a few weeks ago and we had a blast. With the lady. Mm -hmm. I was hilarious.
by the way. <laughs> he was. <laughs> yeah. It's it's bad. It, it's not bad, but that I know all your punchlines because I still laugh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've seen you so many times. <laughs> and uh, and thank you for not like shouting them out before I get there. Oh no, I'm yeah. not a dick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just I'm just like oh I know it's coming. <laughs> I I don't mind that kind of stuff. I with especially with like comedy, it's like I can watch the same. I can watch Step Brothers. Over and over and over. I know where the beats are. I know exactly what's going to happen. It doesn't mean I enjoy it any less right. or that I laugh any yeah. less. So I'm right there with you. I have some friends in California, and we have like a tradition in our friendship where every time we see each other, we watch Anchorman. It's like mandatory. Literally, every time I see them, every time yeah. I go to their house, like Zane will come out and be like, we're putting on Anchorman, and we watch Anchorman. <laughs> Six, 60% of the time. It works every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I totally get what you mean by that. All righty, everybody. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, We'll see you all next week. Bye.